Hello, this is Chris O'Regan, and you're listening to The Sausage Factory. This is episode 467 of The Sausage Factory. In this episode, interview Tony Gowland of Ant Workshop and ask them about the design and development of their golf sim dungeon crawling mashup, Dungeon Golf. Nothing good can come from this, right? Mini golf and a dungeon crawler with monsters and stuff and spells. No, you're wrong. It's a big yes. This is a really fun game. Really sings when you're playing with other people though and we delve into that quite heavily in this episode it's quite a long one that's fine we like long episodes sometimes it's good tony was very very honest and quite verbose in his responses to my questions which i really appreciate and yeah let's you know let's have a bit of a shorter introduction then eh? let's do that chris please do do take it away hello tony hello how's it going Good. Can you tell us who you are and what you do? Uh, my name is Tony Gowland. I'm the uh, managing director and uh, creative director of uh, Dungeon Golf. Oh, indeed, is why you're here. Before we delve into that, I'm going to find out a little bit about yourself. So, how do you, yeah, I know. Can <laughs> you tell us how do you make your start making video games? Um, I uh, sort of fell into it by accident, really. Um, very far back in my childhood, I uh, we had a home computer. I didn't have a Spectrum or an Amstrad. I had an Acorn Electron, which was like the baby brother of the uh, BBC Micro that people have actually heard of. Um, and it kind of always been into like uh, typing in, uh, like you'd get books that had games that you could type in and all of that kind of stuff. And always been really interested in, in fiddling with level editors and things like that. And... Uh, later on, I got an Amiga and uh, fiddled with a, a bit of software called Amos that was uh, like a game uh, development software, um, made made a few kind of stupid little things there that uh, never really went anywhere. Um, I then largely forgot about it for a very long time um, until I was when I was at university, um, I worked in, uh, I did my year in industry at an office for Com- uh, Compaq and 
in the lunch breaks and after lunch and after work at Compaq, um, all of the engineering team would boot up Quake, the original Quake, on their computers, uh, and we would all shoot each other a lot at Quake, which was a very satisfying end to the day to shoot your manager in Quake. Um, and that was the same year that uh, Half Life came out, and then kind of right towards that, the end of that, um, the really, really initial versions of Counter Strike came out as well and through all of that i'd kind of I'd, it really reignited my my interest in in making games and kind of making maps and levels uh like the the um half-life had like a really cool easy to use level editor called hammer um well it's called Worldcraft and then hammer but um it really got into that and it, it, and joined like some of like the uh online mapping forums and that kind of thing. Um, and when I was in my final year at uni, yeah, applying for jobs, at, like so I'd done a computer science degree, um, applying for jobs at banks and all of these other really boring places. And I'd seen a, a little local uh, games company uh, had posted on one of the Counter-Strike mapping forums, like, oh, we're looking for, for level designers for a new FPS game that we're making. Um, if anyone's interested in applying for that. So I thought, well, you know, I'll, I'll apply for that. Um, and really didn't think anything else of it. And then about a month later, um, I got an email back from a company where I didn't recognize the company's name at all. It was Particle Systems. I'd, what what on earth are Particle Systems doing inviting me for a job interview? Who are they? What do they make? And then opened it up and lo and behold, it was the games company. Um and that was basically how I fell into making making games. They're not around anymore. They got bought by a different company, and then eventually everyone ran out of money, and uh, everyone moved on. But it was it was a lovely company to to start my career in, and uh, I'm still good friends with a lot of the people from there to this day. Right, quite a storied history. And uh, yes, you 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 dabbled in Amos personally. Uh, I dabbled in STOS, S-T-O-S, was the Atari ST version. I uh, didn't realise that we were enemies. I oh, know, sorry, sorry. <laughs> Do you want to stop the recording now? We can do it. I'd have never have agreed to come on if I'd have realised that we were enemies. <laughs> <laughs> but no, um, yeah, there was, it's similar similar stories. But yeah, it's um, and the fact that you like, latched onto those level editors and uh, world editors in those amazing games, especially Half-Life, it gave birth to many, but yes, Counter Strike is the most celebrated. DE Dust, where would we be without it? Well, exactly. What a <laughs> lovely map. What an amazing map. I don't think they even use Dust anymore, do they? It's all Dust 2 these days. Yeah. yeah. Boo. Boo. Original, the original and best. <laughs> so, next question. What are your biggest influences as a um, creator? I think that. So I think like a lot of the stuff that influences me, um, I always think back to the games kind of like from my teenage years and stuff. So again, like uh, as a as a Amiga owner, it was a lot of Team Seventeen, um, and particularly like a lot of like sensible software and stuff like that. Like sensible, they made some incredible stuff where it's it had the gameplay, but also like I just loved the sense of humor that you would get and like the real sense of like a personality that you would get in in those games. And that's always been something that I've tried to replicate when we've done like Ant Workshops titles, everything that we do, I try and kind of like brand it with, with a bit of a sense of 
that there are real people behind this and it's it's not just it's not just like some um faceless team team of creators um so yeah like a lot of that I'd like I, I think like a lot of comedy programs as well to be honest like funny it I think with so I didn't have like games consoles at all until uh, again like uh, until actually until my first job like I got a PlayStation 1 um so like a lot of my a lot of my history is kind of like I say like Amiga and then like there's this massive gap where when everyone else was playing uh, Mario Brothers and and really getting into top down Zelda games and all of that kind of stuff I've just got like a big empty space of like not being into games that much at that point and then kind of come back into it in the PlayStation generation. So next question. What video game developer do you admire most and why? Um yeah, again like again, I think like I think it would kind of come back to people like people like Team Seventeen and, and Sensible, like in the in in their head uh, um I mean not not so much now Team Seventeen has is very much changed as as to kind of what kind of company it is. Um but yeah, like I, I, I really like th- those kind of things again where it's like you can you can feel like a, that a small number of people have worked on something and really kind of it's 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 got kind of quirks and it's it's got like slightly janky bits and that sort of thing. Like I, th- I think that those are the those are the kinds of things that I that I really enjoy. Um, yeah. Okay. So, what is it? The core things that the their approach, their how they designed stuff how they produced what was it their curation process and because team 17 were indeed a publisher and a developer at the time not so much now but yeah uh, i think it's like a lot of it again it was like it felt like there was uh even like even across all of the games that they were publishing and stuff it felt like there was a sense of personality and a sense of humor that that was coherent across everything um, and everything had like a, a, a similar sort of design philosophy to it. Like again, with like the sensible things. I mean, obviously, like a lot of sensible stuff did. They got into using like the little character things, like the same, almost like the same sprites across loads of this stuff, which which gave it like a visual kind of identity that tied it all together. Um, but you you really got a kind of sense of like yeah, of like developers having fun and and kind of putting like a lot of that individual personality into like well this is how you're meant to play this game and this is how like the sort of design of it is all it's all fitted together and um if you don't like it then that's this kind of isn't the game for you <laughs> so uh, yeah it's yeah and i i think there's there's definitely like i said like definitely like a a, a sense of humor in it that really appeals to me about about their titles Nice. So, not up themselves. Excellent. You know. <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah. So, last question of the first half. Here we are. You made it. Well done. Uh, but this could be the toughest one to answer. What are you playing right now? Right now, um, I'm actually kind of in between things at the moment. So, I finished, uh, I finished Zelda, and then I played Viewfinder, and then some DLC came out for Golden Idol, and I. I uh, lapped that up immediately, um, and I'm kind of I, I find it difficult to like I, I kind of like flit between like a lot of different games and like 
kind of play. I'm I'm I don't know whether it's a game developer thing, but like I I play a lot of stuff for about half an hour and kind of just go like, okay, the, I want to, I want to have a go on this and see what this is doing, and then finish playing it. And it's like, right, that's cool. I've seen that, and I I feel like I know how that's going to progress. Um, and yeah, and then kind of move away from it. So like I'm, at the moment, I'm still uh, like I'm looking for something that'll kind of hook me in. I guess the probably the thing that's closest to that at the moment is I've been playing Dredge. Wow, um, yes, that's the DLC's like, coming out for that soon as well. Is it? it? Uh, yeah, okay. yeah. I, I, I'm I'm still I'm still relatively early on in it. I've kind of done moved moved on to doing like the sort of second set of set of islands that it kind of points you towards mm-hmm. um, they... so i'm still yeah i'm still very early on in it but yeah it's it's cool again it's like it feels like it, it feels like quite a, like a tight bit of gameplay with with like the a, a really core central idea around it and then it's like that they're just sort of slowly built out around that and i i really like how they get across the sort of personality of the world with surprisingly little writing in the game like there's, yeah. there's a lot yeah. there's a lot of games where they, they have mountains and mountains of of background lore and i can never be bothered to read it all whereas it's like you have like the the a, a couple of lines from the from the um lighthouse keeper in dredge and you're kind of like all right there's like i've got questions about all of the background of this and i want to know what's going on here and i think it's really cleverly done in that way i think we've had them on the show dredge the developers of dredge so and uh yeah that was the the theme of every every engagement was you got answers then you got more questions (laughs) after the answers were given like What's going on there? Best not think about it. But I really am. <sighs> okay. Yeah. But that's what keeps you driving with that game. It's just that what is going on? And you just you eventually you get an answer, but it's not one you expect, which is the best kind of answer. <laughs> I won't say any more than that. But, uh, well, that game goes places, both figuratively and, you know, actually. So, yeah, yeah, nice. I shall stick with it. I think you should. I think you should. Great that you played Voodfind. It reminded me I need to get on that. And that's really interesting. I yeah. really like what they've I really like what they've done with that. I think yeah. it's I think it's a very clever like it's very clever the way that it it again like it, it builds and it kind of it it's just a really nicely put together puzzle game that you'll often you often think that you're outsmarting it and then you realise that actually you've you've just done exactly what they've expected you to do and yeah. I think, yeah. Then one minute you think you're the, the genius, next minute you go, oh, I'm just a pawn, aren't I? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you're the pawn in the right place. Well, that's nice. <laughs> Sorry for the chess reference, everyone, but there it is. I'm going to leave it there. <laughs> so that's the end of the first half. Let's move on to the second half of the show, where we're going to be delving deep into dungeon golf. Huh.
Before we can do that, it's only fair on the audience to find out, in your own words, Tony, what is Dungeon Golf? Uh, dungeon Golf is mini golf in a dungeon. Um, and that's, I always struggle, I always struggle to find the exact set of words to describe it. It's So it's a mini golf game. It's kind of uh, hero based. So you select one of a, a range of eight different golfers. They've got different strengths and weaknesses um, and different special abilities. You're playing mini golf through uh, actual dungeon levels. Um, it's, golf scoring so you're trying to get your ball like the, the sort of key goal is always get your ball in the hole in the smallest in the uh, lowest number of shots um but there are traps and there are monsters if you hit your ball into a monster it'll defeat the monster and you get a shot back but if you take any damage like your health is your is your uh score so if you take any damage uh, that adds to your score. So if you land too close to a monster, it'll attack you and it adds to your score. Or if you're playing in multiplayer um, against other players, like you can use your special abilities against other players and damage the other players that way. And um, it's, yeah, it's it's a stupid, daft knockabout uh, mini golf with special powers and lots of stuff going on. And yeah, it's surprisingly tactical. Yeah, I remember when uh, I got my first hole-in-one, I was completely confused. Like, I hit three shots. Why have I got a hole-in-one? Oh, wait. <laughs> I took out three monsters in the process. Yeah. <laughs> and I just nailed it. I went, yeah, I'm a genius. This is awesome. But I think you've done a wonderful job of summarising it. It is, in a manner of speaking, Dungeon Crawling with Golf. But there's more to it than that, which we're going to delve into now. So for me, the core experience of Dungeon Golf is playing with other golfers, either they be people, human beings, or AI controlled. It doesn't matter. That's that's the core experience, for want of a better word. That seems to be, the game seems to be built around this concept of you competing against others on the same course. Now, the thing is, there are consequences to players' actions that interact with other players and to the point where it impacts on how you approach the shot because you're not just thinking about getting to the shortest route to the hole but also preventing others doing the same. So I have to ask, and having played through many of the courses and experienced the, the game in various phases, but like I said, this is the core experience playing against other golfers, uh, or other denizens of the dungeons, I should say, because there's some interesting characters who are playing this game of golf. How has this impacted the design of the courses themselves? Because you have so many different variables. How have you found, what have you done as the in the initial stages of developing the courses? And just talk us through that process of knowing that the experience the player experienced these courses in many, many different ways, whether with other players, other golfers, or indeed on their own when they're doing a, a speed run or something. How have you made because they're very different experiences, yet they're the same course. So what have you done to have make sure those courses are engaging regardless of how the players are interacting with them? Yeah, I think um this is a very good question. <laughs> I think a lot of it came down to um, uh, kind of 
always giving the player like a lot of options. I think the 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 sort of the most disappointing courses when we were playing it, and I mean we've been developing it for um, for over a year, so like there's been like a lot of internal player testing and a lot of kind of tweaks along the way and like all of the holes that we've got have had have had play after play after play but a lot of it comes down to the the layout and giving players options like we always wanted to make sure that um often so i play a lot of mini golf I mean, the whole game came about because I play loads and loads of mini golf, and uh, that's why I wanted to make a mini golf game. And there's nothing that I find more disappointing than when you go on a mini golf course and it's like it. They almost ha- they always have like this sort of introductory holes where it's basically just a straight line, and it's like, well, there's no there's no fun to be had in that. It's like uh, at that point, all it is is whether you can hit the ball at the right power and in the right direction. Like the the cool stuff whenever if you say to people about mini golf it's always like oh the windmill or something like that there's like it's it basically you say mini golf to people and it conjures in their mind like very specific kind of obstacles and stuff like that and and within like within those obstacles on a mini golf course you again you have like the options of like well do i want to risk going through like the the risky obstacle and maybe uh heroically getting my ball in in one or do I want to go like the, the more roundabout way or try bouncing the, the ball off a wall to kind of arc it round and it'll take me, maybe it's take me more shots, but it's maybe slightly less risky. And I think we had a lot of that in Dungeon Golf where it's because there are so many different elements. We always had to, or we always tried to make sure that whichever route you took, there would always be things for you to do. Like there's, there's, uh, collectibles for you to to get, or there's a chest to open, or there's some enemies up there. Um, but that, but that every like every route was a kind of viable route, and because there are so, like you said, when you're playing against other players, like I mean, physics, even hitting one golf ball, it, your next shot could be could be vastly different. Uh, game to game but once you've got multiple players involved and they've all got like the different special abilities and stuff like that it's like there are so many the option space for how players could be laid out is so different like all we can all we can do is basically like try and keep players kind of relatively contained like there's there's not that many holes in dungeon golf where they are where they're long like there there are more courses where you kind of loop around a little bit, or you're you're kind of kept within a sort of a tighter area, because again, it it makes the game more interesting the more you can interact with each other. But yeah, it's it's always been a it's always been a bit of a balancing act. I'm sure there are some holes that uh, are less so, but <laughs> well, you're in early access at the moment, so you know things can you can get feedback and change and tweak and alter things as the as things go but um... it's always yeah it's been really interesting actually watching people playing it like when we've seen streamers playing it and stuff and like, you know, quite often in the team people will share like clips of like did you see what they managed to do on this court like it's it's really one of the really cool things with with it being so physics based and like there's so many options and stuff it's like some of the things that people will achieve in a shot that we'd never thought of as a possible route of yeah. of uh, like how how to how to beat a, a hole. <laughs> I'm going to talk about the positioning of the hole. 
and um, where you've actually located. And also noticing how when you hit the golf ball and you then your character will then appear in the location where the golf ball is rested. And as you're, sort of fo- you're so focused on that flag, but there's this risk item, which you do flag quite well, pun intended, with a big sort of like circle of danger, danger zone around. Mm. And, you know, if you, your player lands there for, for no fault of their own sometimes, they'll be put there by the other players because they've done something to them. We'll talk about that in a following question. But it's really, how did that come about? This The thought of hazards physically hurting the the, the, the golf player it was just wait that's not that that's not a thing how how did that come about <laughs> i mean that that was basically like the sort of that's the the dungeon crawler side of it really was like this idea of like well if if it's in a dungeon like one of the kind of core things that, that people expect from that part of the game is the combat and the back and forth between like players and, and monsters that are in there um, and even within the combat there was a lot that we like there was a, a, a lot of iteration that we did uh, early days like originally enemies all had uh, health bars and it's like so you'd hit your ball into an enemy and it's like you slowly knock down its health but one of the things that we found was with the physics of it if you hit your ball into something your ball would rebound and then you almost always end up kind of back much closer to where you started and it just felt rubbish like it was really really unsatisfying like you'd like to just be like constantly knocking against these enemies to try and to try and drag them down so it's like that's when we we tried just like well we'll just have it so it's like one hit kill for for enemies all of the time and you just kind of plow through them um and the, the actual danger zone came out of um uh, it, well, it was kind of right towards the start of this year, we had like a new team member join. And I think, and again, this is one of the things where it's like having having people who who aren't familiar with the game playing it is is just so useful. Because like, we'd all, within the team at that point, we'd all kind of like internalize like, oh, you don't want to end up too close to an enemy because they'll like, they'll move towards you and attack you. Like, um, and, and and having, like, we, we all had those sort of ranges kind of, like, roughly in our heads of, like, oh, well, that's the sort of range of this enemy and that's the sort of range of that enemy. This new team, team member joining is just, like, I have no idea how close is too close or, like, wh- whether I'm about to be attacked or where is safe or anything. So it was almost, originally, it was almost something put in a, as a bit of a debug of just, like, well, can we see what are the ranges and stuff? And then we realised it's, like, actually, no, it's it's really useful for people to be able to see this stuff. So so uh, so we left it in. And again, like, most of the monsters, like, most of the enemies and the monsters in it now are, are fairly static. Like, they'll move towards you if you're, if you're very close to them. Um, there was a point in a much earlier version of the game where enemies would kind of follow you through the level a lot more, um, but it would it it would make, like really slow, slow things down because you'd end up spending. We didn't just want enemies to teleport, um, so it's like you'd you'd want to be able, like we wanted if the enemies were relatively close to the player, you'd be able to see them moving, but then that just kind of slowed things down you'd take your shot and there it's like enemy you'd watch enemies shuffling around for 
a, a minute or something. It's like, oh, this is, this just isn't very good at all. So it's like we made it so that like the enemies would, if they can, if they can attack, they will move to attack. But that other than that, they like they won't move within that thing. And I think as well, it it helped. There's a lot of stuff like you say that can move around on the course, and there's a lot of stuff that can change. Um, but having that meant that the enemies are relatively anchored. Like some of them won't, like some of them just don't move at all, or like unless a player nudges them uh, and like gives them knockback. But it at least meant that they were relatively anchored in place. So you kind of know, like, okay, this guy's going to be up here and this monster's going to be down here. Um, special abilities. Each player has special abilities. Two, principally. One is better than the other. But you have to earn mana. Mana is littered across the, the course in, in Dungeon Golf. And I just noted two things about this. First of all, obviously, the design of these has been quite fun coming up with these different skills and abilities. But I really want to talk about how swingy they are. Because if you unleash one of these, especially the ultra ones, just at the right time, you can talk, You can turn a disaster round into, well, a, an eagle. <laughs> so just talk us through how you managed to airdrop these special abilities into the, the what I may say the core game experience without undermining the experience of other players to make sure they don't feel like because it's always like a ticking dime bomb, like a grenade. You know others have got these abilities. They may or may not trigger them, but you just like, please forget to trigger yours. Please, <laughs> oh no, you didn't forget. You know, and uh, now you've made my life pain. But just talk me through them really, just their their conception that more not not their specific design because I want players to discover them for themselves but it's principally the method by which you came up with them and how you found introducing them yeah so the the kind of core idea of them um originally came out of like we're because the game is almost like hero based like like each each of the different characters that you can play as we right from the start we wanted if you're playing as the barbarian, it's a different experience to if you're playing as the wizard, it's a different experience to if you're playing as the skeleton, you know, like, so to get that, get that almost RPG thing of each of the different character classes feels like you're getting something else out of it. And you have to, you can kind of um, pick one that sort of suits your style a little bit. Um, And, from there we're like almost like looking at like fighting games and things and it's like all right the, the, like each each character in a fighting game has um like ryu and ken have you have different abilities like you have different special moves and stuff like that right so we'll give our character special moves um and at one point i think at one point the design had had them with three but it started to get very complicated um and to be honest the like they were difficult to balance and they're difficult to offer. Um, so we kind of pared it down to like a, a, a kind of lower powered one where you can, you can almost fire that off every turn. Um, and then a higher powered one where it's like, okay, if you, if, if you want to, you need to save up for, uh, save up to, to deploy this. Um, and in terms of like designing them, it was, it was a kind of like two prong thing of like wanting stuff that was very themed to the characters. Like it had to feel like this, this makes sense for this character and it's a, it's a fun sort of thing that, that suits them. Um, But also we wanted stuff where it's like, it had multiple, like everything, 
or we've tried to make it so that everything has like a couple of different ways that you can use it and like there's a couple of different elements to them um so that it's it's not just like well all right if i use this this is just a, a pure attack thing and it will just do damage to one player and that's that um because that's kind of fine to use and certainly like in a lot of situations if you're near another player just being able to increase their score a little bit is is a perfectly uh perfectly use, useful bit of the game but what we love is like is and again we've like seen this when people have been streaming the game it's like when people use them in like really inventive ways like the i think that the most versatile is probably like the frog's tongue where you can use it to like you can use it to attach to uh, various different things or to to damage various different things but the, yeah there's like there's loads of different kind of techniques and i mean if you if you watch our lead designer ever play the game um it's like he's he's comes up with such weird ways of chaining stuff together um it's but it's really cool uh, to watch and i think like i think in terms of like the 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 super abilities and the way that they're able to really kind of swing matches sometimes um what we've always tried to do is kind of balance it so that everyone gets fairly regular chances to use their abilities like the the manner that is scattered around the course but there's also like if you break stuff you get some there's treasure chests often the treasure chests aren't on like uh, a, a sort of prime route th- through the course so it's like if you take a little detour you can open a treasure chest which will almost always like uh give you like two and a half bars of banner so it like it'll almost fully charge you up um if you take if you time your shot accuracy perfectly you get like a little mana boost um there's like we wanted to make it so that there's like a lot of different ways that you can you can earn mana uh so that even if you're not like the first player going through the course uh going through that particular hole you can you can still kind of charge them up and get a chance to use them um i think yeah i think largely they're I would say that they're pretty balanced. We get pretty much every one of the characters. Someone has said at some point, um, this character is overpowered, which I feel like if if people say that about every character, what that really means is I got beaten by this character. And it's like, well, yeah, but you probably used your special ability at some point, and they probably thought that that, yeah. uh, that that was unfair and stuff. And I think it's like one of the kind of core philosophies with, with Dungeon Golf as a multiplayer game has, has been like, we want it to be something where you are like messing with your friends is a, is the real key kind of strategy to it. Like um, I'll often describe to people that like the ideal to me is it's like you're there and it's like, right, I could use my ability to uh, defeat this monster and that will knock one off my score. Oh, but if I use my ability in this other direction to blow up this exploding barrel, that a, a couple of other players around that'll add one to their scores, and it's like in in that kind of scheme of balancing out, like well, actually adding adding one to every other player's score is is better in a lot of ways than subtracting one from my score. So it's like having that, yeah, like having those options of as to like how you're going to mess with people. And it, and again, it's really satisfying to watch people just really try and screw each other over, um, and like just attack each other with their abilities when there's 
you could just pop your ball into the hole. But actually, I'll turn around and I'll whack your ball out of the way and then I'll just put my ball and just leave it as a little parting gift and stuff like that. It's really fun to watch. Speaking of the control of the balls, um, and this is the last question. I know, all good things come to an end. But here we are. This is the last question, which is, after touch. Dungeon Golf supports aftertouch in two sensible soccer-like fashion. <laughs> those those old of us old enough to know what that means, you look it up. It's it's a thing, although it's nowhere near as disgustingly difficult as it was in sensible soccer because that ball moved like the clappers. <laughs> but in 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 dungeon golf, it's you know it's there. You can you know depending on the accuracy skill of the uh, the, the the player, the golfer. Uh, or dungeon crawler, whatever you want to call them, um, they can really swing that ball around, and you have it. You can have it like a bloody, you know, pinballs thing, like bashing around all those things. How have you found introducing this? In that, you know, it's really well advertised. You do talk, talk about it. The ball really glows when you're doing it. It's like oh, you're moving it around now as its own volition against physics, because hey, it's video games. But you know how. What, Kind of like lion of a witch, because you, you could have had it such that they could the player could just hit it anywhere, and then they just sort of drag it where they want it to be. Mm. Um, what have you found that sort of fine balance of introducing such an incredibly powerful thing? Because it's got me out of a lot of bother. Yeah, it was so originally it started as uh, so one of our one of our characters is an actual is just a golfer. Um, and in in the lineup of characters, uh, you've got all these different fantasy archetypes uh, and then just someone that is there in in the full-on golfing kit that is using golf club there to play golf um and so one of her special abilities originally was like the after touch was just uh, was just a special ability of like okay you get a bit of extra steering on that um and we found playing with it it was just it's like really useful and and kind of fun to do um and so we ended up switch it like we just as a test kind of switched it on for everyone and and so one of the things that we to to kind of balance it we made it so it's like yeah if you're playing as like a a character that's got uh low accuracy but high strength um you have your after touch isn't as effective so it's it's for example the barbarian isn't as good at after touching the ball and stuff like that um but it made a big difference and that the key thing that it that it really uh they really improved was without aftertouch you your interaction in the game is you're planning out your shot you're figuring out what to do maybe you use an ability something like that um then you'll aim your shot you'll figure out how much power to put into it and you'll wait for the right time to for the accuracy and you press it and then that was it and you were and then you're watching your ball go and you were seeing what happened and you were kind of just basically left to the fates at that point and then seeing seeing what would happen. Having aftertouch in it meant that you had input and agency in your turn throughout your entire turn. So it's like once you hit your ball, the Although, like the, the sort of accuracy of your shot is is very important, it still meant it's like oh, I can I can just make like little bits of of movement and like little kind of tweaks to it, and 
oh, I'm, I'm, I'm just getting close to that thing. If I just go there, I can get round. And it, it, so it gave you like a lot more agency, which just meant that your turn felt like it was just cooler and it was way more interesting. And you, you would kind of like pay attention throughout your entire shot rather than just whacking the ball and, and kind of zoning out a little bit. Um, and it also ended up with like, I've, we get more of these kind of like, Oh, just, just here, just that like golf has a lot of this stuff where it's like your ball is just rolling towards like, for example, like you mentioned, like the danger zone of an enemy, if you bring up the danger zone and it's like your ball is just rolling into the, and it's like, stop, 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 stop. And being able to like, just like, Oh, can I get the aftertouch just to slow this down? Or, or when you're moving towards the, like the hole and just like, can I get it in there? Is that gonna, and like, it's, it's these really like close call moments like uh, just awesome to like just the feel really good in golf um and having the aftertouch lets players engineer more of those sort of like um almost moments but also lets them uh, engineer more of those moments to turn out in their favor so like the 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 kind of if you if you're just rolling towards the danger zone just the ball stops just before the enemy would attack you. That's incredible. Like that for you, that feels great for the other players. It's a bit like they're like, they're egging it on for your ball to kind of roll over the line. But for you, it feels so for everyone in like, everyone enjoys that kind of thing. And yeah, like having the aftertouch where it's like, you could just stop it and stuff. It's like, it, yeah, it just creates all these extra moments and, and yeah, have it like having that extra player agency throughout your entire turn. Um, it was actually, and it was actually um, burnout, burnout three. That's where the, that was where it was from more than it's where it's a combination of like a, a, it was a combination of that for the implementation of it, um, but uh, Tiger Woods PGA Tour on the PlayStation Two. I used to love how on Tiger Woods you can't do it quite so much on the the new ones, but you used to be able to get like some real like kind of ball steering while your ball was in the air on that. And yeah, that was that was kind of where that had all come from. Nice. Here's me thinking it was sensi. It might have been subconsciously. Who knows? <laughs> oh, I mean, there's, yeah, there's been plenty of games have got it, but it is it's it's interesting when you say about like um, it's it's like having to remind players to use it a bit. It is certainly something where we've seen because it's because it's not like a standard feature in all golf games or what have you. Like, there's definitely points where we've been watching people play it and kind of thinking like, oh, okay, there's. Um, like that they've not remembered the aftertouch they've not remembered its thing so we've actually we pushed an update last night and one of the things that's got in it is if you've played the game for about 10 minutes without using aftertouch it brings up like a little reminder thing of like do you, you know you can use aftertouch right because we figure right. like if you if you haven't used aftertouch for about 10 minutes of ball moving time you've probably right. forgotten about yeah, it forgotten about it no it's, i always just always using it, even when you don't think like it's fine. You're gonna hit the ball. No, I like actually making. Oh yeah, I'm just, just steering it a little bit. Yeah, it just, I just feels good. Yeah, just like grabbing it, going. No, it's just, I'm the destiny of me. Yeah. I will not have physics dictate <laughs> what goes on here. So right, dungeon golf. It's been developed by Ant Workshop. What? Where's the name Ant Workshop come from? So, funny people. Um, even our staff tends not to realize for a while uh my name is uh, my actual name is anthony 
So it is. Of course. Ant, it is the it is the shop that Ant works at. There you go. Completely <laughs> literal. And, and, there's there's no ambiguity here. It's yeah, where Ant, Ant works. Deep law. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and uh, what uh, platforms is Dungeon Golf available on? It is on Steam for uh, Windows PC. Excellent. Well, Tony, it's been wonderful having you on the show. It genuinely has. And um, more than welcome to come back to talk about what's next cooking in your head. I know you've still got some time to finish off with Dungeon Golf, but I know there's something else. And, uh, yeah, welcome, welcome to come back chat about it oh, thanks chris yeah uh we, yes we have plans plans are afoot i'm spending it that's what a lot of my time is at the moment is planning <laughs> figuring out schemes Ooh, schemes what schemes like and that. plans as to what's going to happen next so well, until then thank you so much thanks very much chris well that was fun thanks tony really open and honest about the creation of dungeon golf it's a fantastic game really fun especially with friends and yeah, talk about screwing people over just when you think you got that ram that just fantastic shot, and then someone comes along and knocks it flying. Oh boy. Anyway, next week we've got a very cozy game. I like my cozy games, but this one this one really tugged at the heartstrings, so to speak. It's a game called A Tiny Sticker Tale, made by a developer called Ogre Pixel. They're based in Mexico. So, yeah, do have a listen to that one. It's really interesting how they come up with the idea of basically having a sticker album and using those stickers to create objects in the world. And, yeah, it really makes you think. A lot of lateral thinking in this one and also a very heartwarming story to it. So, yeah, that's enough of me. Let's listen to my pre-recorded self talk about things. Bye! You have been listening to the Sausage Factory podcast, part of the Cane and Rinse Collective. Support us for just two US dollars per month at patreon.com forward slash Cane and Rinse for early, extended and exclusive podcasts. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, YouTube and at our website, caneandrinse.com. <laughs> <laughs>